0: It's time for Supply Chain Now, broadcasting live from the supply chain capital of the country, Atlanta, Georgia. Heard around the world, Supply Chain Now spotlights the best in all things supply chain, the people, the technologies, the best practices, and the critical issues of the day. And now, here are your hosts.
1: Good morning, Scott Luton. here with you on Supply Chain Now. Welcome back to the show. On today's episode, we are continuing our logistics with purpose series here, powered by our dear friends over at Vector Global Logistics. Um, You know, on this series, as you may know, we spotlight leaders and organizations that are all on a noble mission and are changing the world in one way, shape, or form. So stay tuned as we look to increase your supply chain leadership IQ. Quick programming note before we get started, if you enjoyed today's conversation, be sure to find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcast from. Wanna welcome in my fearless esteemed co-host here on today's show, uh, Enrique Alvarez, managing director with Vector Global Logistics. Good morning, Enrique. Good morning, Scott.
2: Good morning, Randy, Monica. Pleasure to be here with you guys today.
1: Great to have you back here on the heels of of, uh, a fascinating conversation we had with uh, Mickey over at Rise Against Hunger. And as you mentioned, you're joined by your colleague, Monica Rush, Business Development Associate with Vector. Good morning, Monica.
0: Good morning, Scott. It's really nice to be here again.
1: Absolutely. We we, we love this series. There's so much passion and uh, purpose and uh, leadership Uh, best practices that have come out of these conversations. It's just one of our most uh, uh, enjoyable series on on the Supply Chain Now's team. So with all that being said, I want to welcome in our featured guest here today, uh, Randy Strang, Chief Operating Officer with MedShare, which is a global humanitarian aid organization that happens to be headquartered in Atlanta. Good morning, Randy.
0: Good morning, Scott. It's a pleasure to be here. In fact, it's an honor to be here.
1: Well, so glad that I know that your team continues to to uh, push forward and and deliver on your mission. So thanks so much for taking some time out to join us and and uh, fill us in on what Medshare is doing, as well as some of your your thought leadership on the supply chain industry. Great. So, so Randy, with all that said, um, as as with all of our series, we really like to get a, a snapshot of. Of who our guests are so up front tell us uh tell us about yourself you know where you're from maybe give us a, a story or two from your upbringing
0: all right well um, um, first of all I gotta I gotta apologize to any Michigan fans online because I am a Buckeye I grew up in Ohio <laughs> uh, I did go to Ohio State in fact I'm second generation Ohio State my father went to school there too mm. um, I grew up in um, um, obviously Ohio and Cincinnati Ohio when my father was a he's a Director of uh, Product Development at Procter & Gamble. He's a hmm. PhD in chemical engineering. So we got, to, we got to enjoy all kinds of test foods uh, and test products. Um, he'd bring on, home all kinds of crazy things. Pringles, like uh, years before they were ever produced, uh, he was bringing home potato chips. <laughs> huh. So we got to try all kinds of fun things. But uh, um, So, yeah. we uh,
1: going up in Cincinnati, Randy. Uh, I'm sure... Skyline chili and some of those other Cincinnati chilies was part of your diet as well, right?
0: Absolutely, part of my diet. Yeah, still is. You can you can buy it here in Atlanta uh, if you look hard enough. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a wonderful thing. And every time I travel up there, I make it a a point to uh, visit Skyline, visit Montgomery Inn. For those who Mm. know of those places, um, uh, favorite spots. So yeah, so yeah, like I said, Ohio State uh, studied industrial engineering. Um, and, I, and I really purposely chose industrial engineering, some people joke and call it imaginary, but I, I happen to think it's one of the most important engineering disciplines because it's, uh, it's a discipline of people and processes which um, to me are really make the things that make the world go around. So I've, I've always been fascinated by um, you know human engagement and, and, and processes and how people work together to make things happen.
1: Um, <clears throat> Well, that's a Randy. That's an important note because, despite all the technology that is in the industry these days, and certainly is in supply chain, um, it still takes people working together to solve problems and and innovate, drive new products. You name it. A lot of what kind of what your dad was doing at P and G. It sounded like.
0: Well, yeah. Um, except with people. <laughs> mm, that's <laughs> but, yeah, right. That's and that's really what I, I enjoyed. Uh, I i was um, I was lucky when I was there at school um, I had an opportunity to co-op and I actually worked at a diamond plant so uh, which you know I always like to tell people <clears throat> but it was an industrial abrasives plant it was a general electric had a had a business unit uh, that produced industrial diamonds and I get to learn all about the uh, the fairly complex process of making diamonds so you know, that was a lot of fun, uh, a lot of really hands on mm. Uh, manufacturing experience and it wasn't an automated process there was a lot of human interaction that went on there so I, I learned quite a bit um, as a as a student and it was a great opportunity um, uh, while I was there and mm. so you, you know one of my first jobs out of school was uh, believe it or not I went to work for a uh, Michigan graduate <laughs> uh, <laughs> You never think that, but no, I uh, my my first boss uh, was a graduate from the University of Michigan, and he uh, um, actually went to work in Texas. I moved down to to Texas. Always wanted to live in the South. Um, and I moved to Houston and worked in the pulp and paper industry. So mm. I here in the paper mill for about five years, um, learned a lot about paper making. Um, Funny story about that, um, you know, one of the things I, I preferred to do in order to learn the process was to work, you know, it was a 24-hour operation, so I'd work the graveyard shift. I'd come in and spend um, several weeks at a time, you know, getting to know the guys that worked on the graveyard shift, and to, to me, that was how you learned how to make paper, and and you worked with these guys that had been there most of their career. And they used to send me on wild goose chases around the mill, You know, you know, teaching me and teasing me about you know being a green bean and you know learning we had a, we had a fun time they they'd tell me to trace a, a, a line a, a feedstock line around the mill and and when I'd come back and say well you know here I followed it all over the place It turned out to be a dead line. it was shut off and they laughed
1: <laughs> well you know well, it Randy
0: took hours to figure that out
1: <laughs> Randy I, I tell you uh, I've been in I think I've been over 300 plant tours in my career and I love the plant floor. Uh, I love the people that make manufa- makes supply chain happen, but certainly make manufacturing sites happen. Salt of the earth people. Um, yep. and, and that's so important right now with what we're facing. I want to bring Monica in. Monica, as we've kind of taken a few steps with Randy into his career, I know you've got a interesting question around his professional journey, right? Yes, Scott, thank you. So Randy, it's so nice to have you here today and to get to know you a little better. I wanted to ask you about your professional journey.
0: What roles were critical to shaping your worldview? Um, good morning, Monica. Um, sure. So I, I was, I've had a, 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 I feel very lucky in my career. I've. Um, I uh, had a lot of different opportunities I mentioned you know moving in Texas and working in the paper industry in the paper industry I learned a lot about technology In fact I got very involved in the paper making technology um, and from there um, I had an opportunity I met a mentor in that in that phase of my career and I actually followed that mentor through a good part of, uh, a good part of my career um, and I learned an awful lot from that person and I highly Recommend um, for those who are listening: If if you can be a mentor to a to a young person, find an opportunity to do it. If you're a young person, find a good mentor um, that's willing to take you under their wing, so to speak. And uh, because it it was uh, immensely beneficial to me. Um, But I, I, so I had an opportunity in the paper industry, and from there I, I got into consulting. I was actually. Uh, I joined uh, Accenture, Uh, back then it was Anderson Consulting, and had an opportunity to really get into solving problems um, of uh, unimaginable different varieties. You know, here i had been in my career focused on, you know, a fairly narrow um, set of business processes, and all of a sudden I'm thrown into a world where uh, you were often hit with problems that you had no idea how to solve, you had to figure it out as you go. And and one of the things I learned there was build your network, because that's how you're going to be able to truly solve problems. Is build the network of people you can rely on, you can trust, and uh, you can reach out to when you need help. And and that's one of the things I learned at Accenture. It's part of their culture, is you establish and leverage that network to solve problems. Because you know two minds are always better than one, and you know a whole network of minds that work together is is just phenomenal. Um,
1: yeah. Randy, along those lines, and couldn't agree with you more, uh, and I cannot, the name escapes me who coined this phrase, but uh, dig your well before you're thirsty, right, as it applies to networking. Because you're definitely going to need people, you're going to definitely need more minds as you solve problems and and navigate through your journey, but, you know, that's tough to build the network when you need it. You need to build it as you're alluding to before. Be proactive about it, right?
0: Exactly. You, you need to have that network because you, you don't know, you're always going to be hit with unexpected um, challenges. And it's when you get hit with those unexpected challenges that you need to reach out to others who may have solved them before. And that's that's where you can truly innovate, in fact, you know, because that's where innovation comes from, right, is trial and error. And by having a good network you can trust and reach out to, you get to benefit from all those Trials and errors that other people experienced uh, in order to better innovate and better solve um, solve problems so so I had I had an opportunity uh, to, to work in that environment and and that's where I, I kind of expanded out beyond just the pulp and paper industry I got into um, lots of different business environments um, most of them process industry related but uh, simply because that was where my background was at the time. Um, but uh, I then, through my mentor, had an opportunity to, uh, to experience another culture, another firm. I, I had uh, a period of time I went to work for Ernst & Young. I went from Accenture to Ernst & Young and their supply chain practice. And, and that's where I really started to get more involved in, you know, different industries, much broader um, array of industry challenges. Uh, I got involved in retail, consumer products. Um, you name it—all uh, kinds of different fun challenges that I, that I get involved with there. And again, it was through my uh, my mentor that I was introduced to the firm. He was asked to join the firm, and uh, and I advanced through E and Y. And then it was at E where I was—I uh, had an opportunity to join UPS. And to me, it was one of the—to um, me, it was a perfect fit. I. I um, Something about my personality fit pretty well into UPS's culture, which is a pretty rich culture. Um, uh, but I came in at a, at a fairly senior level at UPS, which um, was unusual. Most people at, at my level had been uh, had been at the company for 25 or more years. So my peers had very different backgrounds than I did, and um, and and I, t- I tell you that the people and the culture. Um, at UPS, we call it the partnership culture. Um, is is truly remarkable. There's a there's a level of trust and reliance on your partner within that business that is, uh, in my experience, working with lots of different clients is is unusual and unique.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, you know. Uh, UPS, the founder, uh, coined this phrase constructive dissatisfaction and that's always stuck between my ears. Uh, Randy, you being, I've never worked with UPS, you being a part of that culture, in your words, what does that mean to you?
0: Well, I mean, and and I I use that every day, it's uh, constructive dissatisfaction is, is you should never be, here's my interpretation of it anyway. You should never be completely satisfied with the status quo. There's always a, a better way, a, a different way um, to do things and and it, it's it's not a matter of just being dissatisfied, you have to bring a solution. You have to be constructive in improving the process and improving how you get things done. So to me that's the definition of constructive dissatisfaction. Never be satisfied with where you are. Always yep. try to improve and do better.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and- And that's in the infamous words of Jim Casey, the founder of UPS, and I gotta tell you, uh, that's a big part of the culture over at Vector. You know, um, being actively and consistently and constantly dissatisfied with the current state. Uh, And that's what I love about this series and I love about a lot of the initiatives that Enrique and his team are leading. Um, So Randy, uh, and, and I don't wanna short circuit us here, but what was just prior to your current role what 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 was the role that that kind of um, leapt you into your current role with Medshare?
0: Okay, so one of the questions too, and I'll go back and I'll kind of blend the, the answer into the two of them. One was you know what 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 is something that shaped your global view? Mm. Um, and there was a situation that I was faced with um, at UPS. No, um, it was during peak. And as you probably know, life at UPS changes very dramatically. <laughs> <Right>. and, then,
1: <laughs> and, to our, and to our audience, just to, um, you know, we may have some folks that are new to supply chain or still in school. So peak usually uh, is the run-up, the lead-in to the holidays, right? The, third, the November and December holidays. And then, of course, um, peak continues for many that are in the returns business in January. Yes. right when when all the stuff is is unfortunately going back to some of the retailers so it's a busy time of year as you put it Randy
0: yeah there's you know there's you know there's two seasons there's there's peak and there's planning for peak so <laughs> so um so there's so we were in uh, we had just um, kind of launched into peak which uh, i believe this was um i don't know uh november it was right uh, right before um uh, Black Friday. Uh, in fact, it might have been that weekend, it was may have been after Black Friday, anyway. Um, we had regular calls. It was a pretty much a seven-day-a-week process, and um, I had, to, at the time, had had a group called Customer Program Management. And what we did in that organization, it was a global organization, is we provided essential over, oversight to the UPS business units to make sure they were delivering on what we committed to to those customers. So I'll, I'll get, quickly get to the point here. But, um, so I get a call at about um, seven in the morning from our uh, somebody on the management committee, uh, EVP on the management committee, that basically said, "Hey, we're we're having some real challenges, and you know, with healthcare, you know, we need to establish a a war room today." <laughs> so we scrambled. We um, and Enrique Rob Marsh was part of this whole process. We um, uh, we gathered, again, you rely on your network and you're glad you have it when you when you need it. So I started making phone calls and we pulled together a, uh, a group. Um, the focus here was to improve the delivery performance of critical healthcare supplies. And if you can imagine a busy highway and you have one car that needs to get through, um, if the highway is just jammed, it's going to be very difficult for that one car to get through. And that's the same thing with packages, you know, the, the critical healthcare packages are things that are life-saving. These are medications or, or medical devices that have to get where they're going on time. And in peak, the highways are crowded, the, the facilities are full, and, and it wasn't happening the way it should have at the time. So this group scrambled to triage and resolve that. And, and one of the things, you know, in terms of shaping my view and one of the things that truly led me to where I am today at MedShare. Was you know the the I don't know maybe obvious to many but the 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 critical nature of of global health and of of healthcare um, to people that need things and and how the supply chain is so integral um, to to healthcare functioning properly I mean you know what UPS was facing was how do we get that um, how do we get that? You know that one medication that needs to be given to a patient at a certain time so that they're ready for surgery, at, that's that's been scheduled, um, and and we would actually courier a small box, you know, in a chartered airplane, you know, across country if we had to to make that happen. It was that type of extreme, do whatever needs done. Um, Process that we put together. I mean, we had 30 people in a room. We had 125, I think, people scattered all over the country in facilities working 24 hours a day. I mean, we, we were shifts, obviously, but it was a very intense process. And one of the things it was um, really—I um, um, don't know what to call it um, um, slap in the face, if you will, kind of an awakening for me—is is right. how critical supply chain and healthcare are together. You know what we do at MedShare obviously is critical to global health. Right. Um, you know we're fulfilling a need that uh, that's overlooked. It's just so difficult for some communities, some mm. organizations, some countries to get what we often take for granted here in the US, United States. In fact, you know recently with COVID nineteen, we're starting not to take realize how critical PPE is. Right. Well, this is a situation countries all over the world have been in for
1: years. Well. You know. let's- so let's pivot on, on that. That's a great segue. Um, mm-hmm. but before we do, cause we want to, we want to make sure our audience knows exactly what MedShare does and, and hopefully maybe we'll find some new supporters, but I think it's a critical point you just made. And I yeah. think it's one of the silver linings of, of this pandemic environment we're in where, uh, I think there'll be a new appreciation for not only healthcare and, and folks on the front line and folks, um, literally saving lives, but also, right beside that there'll be a new appreciation and understanding of what end-to-end supply chain folks do and um, that's good for everybody right these are you got people that are uh, saving lives and and putting themselves at risk in hospitals and doctor off doctors offices and you name it and then on the flip side you got people putting themselves at risk to keep product on shelves and and to protect that psyche that's so important during, during challenging times. So a great point you made, Randy, and want to make sure that uh, we double down on that. So with all of that said, you started to, to kind of share the mission that MedShare's been on. Um, let's talk more about that. So what does MedShare do?
0: Great. No, what we do is we, we collect um, high-quality surplus medical supplies and equipment, um, and then we donate them to underserved communities in both the U.S. and all over the world. Um, we we um, by doing that we actually divert about two million pounds a year of what other would otherwise go to landfills. So wow. we're, so we're diverting perfectly good high quality medical supplies and equipment, and we're re, repurposing them um, where they're most needed around the world. Um, so we serve. Um, I'm gonna give you some numbers here, just to give you an idea of the magnitude. We were founded in 1998. We've we've delivered about 240 million dollars worth of supplies since then, 105 different countries, and we've supported, uh, it served 22 million patients um, in in those years. So it's it's um, it's a tremendous need that exists out there, and we're just Mm. we're just a tip of the iceberg in terms of the need. It's it's almost an infinite demand. Uh, for what exists, you know, in terms of need in the health, uh, the global health. um, Right.
1: But you're making such a huge impact. That that may be just the tip of the iceberg, but that's a big tip. I mean, you are doing uh, the good Lord's work and helping people, you know, 22 million patients. And you said it was founded, was it 1998 or 1988?
0: 1980,
1: uh, uh, 1998, sorry. 1998, okay. That's a, wow, that is a a ton of good work in uh you know less than 25 years time yeah. um so i me to go back to and you know we love our numbers here um 240 million 105 countries 22 million patients but what you said up front um, about how you're redirecting supplies that otherwise would just add to our landfills yeah. i mean i love the circularity that's baked into your model
0: yeah absolutely i mean it's it's uh, it's shocking when you see the quality that comes as excess from our hospitals. I mean these are donated supplies. We get them from hospitals. Um, we get them from corporate donors. So um, a lot of times there's you know a product change and now all the hospitals want the newer product so we, we tend to get the surplus older product. On equipment, um, we get uh, hospitals are constantly upgrading their diagnostic equipment, their uh, treatment equipment and we we get whenever they upgrade we will get frequently donated the um, the, the used equipment we refurbish it we have three facilities in the US uh, one up one here in Atlanta this is our headquarters uh, we have a facility of equal size in the San Francisco Bay Area and then we have a, a small facility more of a collection point up in the New York City area in uh, Secaucus New Jersey Hmm. So, we'll collect the, the, the equipment and supplies, we refurbish the equip, equipment, we use um, WHO guidelines in terms of both supplies and equipment. All the supplies have at least a year of um, expiry left, so it's, hmm. it's at least a year before they expire. We don't take anything, that's expired, um, and uh, I think,
1: you know, yeah. um, I, I think a lot of our audience will certainly appreciate and and use a lot of refurbished, remanufactured equipment. And and for folks in our audience that may may not be tapping into that stream, as Randy's pointing out, there's so much product, great product, that is either returned and is simply destroyed because it never makes it back on the shelf or, or is destroyed for other reasons. There's so much great quality products in that part of global supply chain, right Randy?
0: Right. There, it's it's uh yeah it's it's amazing what we what we do get and, and it's rela- it's amazing the relationships we del- developed with hospitals and manufacturers too yeah. they, they've been incredibly supportive of our mission
1: I love that you know um, I, I've told this I've worn this story out I'm probably beat the dead horse but um, uh, I've, I've been using a remanufactured printer for about seven years and it just now I think gave up the ghost so I, th- I think we're gonna have to put it out of its misery but but seven years of, of, a, of a printer that um, you know was rebuilt right yeah. uh, so there's there's so much good quality uh, and hopefully we continue as supply chain leaders to find ways of baking more and more circularity um, into the global supply chain so um, go
0: let ahead let me just add another dimension to this because you talk about you know the equipment one of the one of the challenges that uh, we also see and fulfill fulfill is we, we will we'll send this equipment, biomedical equipment, um, to countries and hospitals around the world. We also train their engineers and technicians on how to repair and maintain them. You, you, you'd be shocked at how often we see equipment in the field, didn't come from us, that just sits there in a closet because it broke and they don't have anybody to fix it or they don't even know how to use it. It was delivered to them as a donation. But they don't know how to use it, so they push it in a closet because you know they've got more pressing matters. So one of the things we do, and just in fiscal year 19, which you know we are about six months off, so we just finished fiscal year 19, is um, we train 382 engineers around the world. Um, oh, wow! So it's it's not a, a light operation. We we have uh, we have an engineer who spends about half his time traveling, and we pack as much into these trips as possible. In fact, right now he's He's um he's working with the State Department to try to get home from Nigeria.
1: Mm. Um, so you're kind of effectively teaching teaching them how to fish, right? Not just providing fish, but also teaching them how to fish in some respect. Exactly.
0: Yeah, how to maintain this equipment so they can tend, so they can continue to use that equipment to support you know patients that need it.
1: Love that. Um,
0: yeah, the, the supplies. You know we we receive these supplies and and they need. There's a lot of work that goes into preparing them for. Uh, delivery and that um, and that we have to do a QA on them we have to sort them, we have to repackage them, and we use volunteers for that. Mm. Um, we see amongst our three facilities we see about twenty thousand volunteers a
1: year and um, well, so let me let me uh, I want to bring Enrique into the conversation uh, not not for the question he 's got for you, but I want to kind of put Enrique on the spot here. Enrique, mm-hmm. I know you've collaborated with with Medshare for quite some time. What do you admire? about the operation that Randy has been describing to our listeners.
2: Yes, thank you very much Scott and Randy, once again, we, I've told this to you before, we really admire what you and your company and your organization is doing and, and we're really proud to, to just have known you guys and, and have the opportunity to, to work with you. Um, I, uh, you were talking about the volunteers and how the sorting operation works, and mm-hmm. we've done that as a company a couple of times, and it's just, yeah, thank you. It's unbelievable. It's it's just uh, not only impressive to see because I think that uh, Randy already described it a couple of times, but it's just it's hard to imagine how much surplus gets to their warehouse, right? Even even mm-hmm. again, Randy has mentioned it again and again, but until you're there at the warehouse looking at all those rows and uh, boxes and um, plastic bags and it's really it's really mind-boggling and they all come together mixed up and you have this huge plastic bags that you put on the tables and um, the teams work maybe five per table trying to sort every single thing and I it's just impressive it's amazing so they got so I, I admire their dedication and commitment because it's it's painstakingly slow to kind of really break everything apart and put like the gosses at one end, the mask at one end, this and that. Yeah. So it's it's very complicated. Uh, it's it's time consuming and, and honestly I just admire the way they, they have uh, been able to to build their, their the foundation of followers and volunteers and people that believe in their cause and mm-hmm. what they stand for. So if if I had to kind of single one thing out from 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 things that I admi- admire um, about MedShare, it's just it's just the foundation and the the amazing community that they have built throughout the world. Because because uh, mm-hmm. it, it's it's not it's not an easy job. I'll I'll tell you that much.
0: No, Enrique, you're kind. It's. We, we try really hard to make it a great experience for the volunteers. We, we want to engage them in the mission. Uh, we want them to feel you know while they're here they're really they're really adding value they're really doing um, doing good um, while they're here and, and hopefully when they leave they feel like you know they've really accomplished something and they have. Uh, we, we at the end of each session we let them know how many pounds they sorted, how many patients will receive that, where those products are going to go so, when they leave, they know, hey, what I did is going to go to Kenya. What I did is going to go to Ethiopia. gonna yeah. support, you know, X thousands of, of patients.
2: So um, love that. Well, yeah, and they I, um, and Randy might not say it, but they run Randy and his team run. They run a tight ship. They they yeah. have all the steps, all the processes. They're very professional. Good technology. It's, it's a Let's, it's uh, a really well, yeah, well well, uh, well established operation for sure.
1: Love that. So. Randy, let's talk about that for a second. So, you know, I think in in all of our conversations, a, th- uh, a lot of folks will assume where, you know, CEOs or COOs or you name it, spend their time. And, and as we have found, it there's so much variety. So, where in your role as Chief Operating Officer of Medishare, where where do you spend your time?
0: <laughs> well, and in, and in, in that's a great question. I, I thought a lot about um, I, I thought a lot about this. Uh, I, I spent a lot of time you know obviously trying to make this place more efficient make you know find ways to get more done um, at a lower cost more done with with uh, um, with the people that we have um, uh, both our staff and our um, and our, our volunteers you know I work hard uh, and thinking a lot about how do we how do we make that, that volunteer program a great experience for everyone so we we, we do work hard at that and we think a lot about it um, you know we don't have a lot of technology here we have what we need we could always use more so there's 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 a lot of time and thought goes into you know what is the what is the best way to leverage the the funds that we have and and the talent that we have to to innovate and to do things more creatively and better leveraging technology or just leveraging smarter way of doing things so um, that's that's probably the biggest focus that i have every day when i come in and every night when I go home, I'm thinking about, you know, what, what else can we be doing and how could we be doing it smarter and better?
1: Love that, constructive dissatisfaction and driving that, that innovation and, and continuous improvement process forward. Okay, Enrique, I wanna bring you back in. You're always curious about what else is is between our guest's ears, so please yeah, fire away.
2: Sure. Thank you much, and uh, so Randy, and you mentioned that you're constantly thinking about how to do things, how to improve the processes. Uh-huh. to just create more and I guess one of the questions that I had for you today was what has changed? Like uh, I know that many, many things have changed with this coronavirus uh, pandemic that we're facing but uh, as a CEO and someone that has had an amazing career from consulting to UPS to manufacturing, uh, what what can you tell us about the things that you're kind of seeing in the market now, the things that are actually making your work? A lot more stressful, maybe a lot harder. But then also, what are some of the silver linings that you see that that could give us some some hope to to everyone else and some other uh, organizations like yours that are really trying and funded on helping others, but yet they're now facing this additional kind of uh, hurdle, right, to, to their to their cause and their purpose. And and you can't stop because if you stop now, is when people need you even more than before. But you're faced with this incredible challenge. So, how, how do you cope with all that? How do you think around this? Um, that's a great question, Enrique.
0: Um, so, some of the things that we've we've faced. Um, you know, we we were very focused on on working with with countries, taking the surplus that we have here, that we enjoy here in the United States, and using that surplus in communities around the world. So that was our key focus. Now we did. We also support local clinics, that was a small part of what we do, an important part of what we do, um, but it wasn't the major part of, of where our focus was. And then all of a sudden, um, somewhere mid-March, it did a 180 on it, so it just completely turned around, and all of a sudden we're getting calls from local hospitals saying, you know, we need gloves, we need gowns, we need uh, masks, um, face shields, you know, can you help us? And all of a sudden we're completely spun around, now we're providing whatever inventory we have to hospitals and clinics um, um, in, the, in our communities, in, in the San Francisco Bay Area, and, in, um, in the Atlanta area, and up in, in New York City. Um, so it's, it's been a 180. And I'll, I'll tell you, one of the things that, that um, we've enjoyed there is, is we, we do have a good network of partners. Um, we were blessed with um, a, a pretty good inventory of, of personal protective equipment. Uh, we were able to, when the, when the outbreak initially occurred, we were able to um, deliver um, needed supplies uh, to China. Um, and then when, when now the rest of the world began to experience uh, in, in a far worse way in, in many, many aspects, you know, the impact of this pandemic, we were, you know, we were fortunate to have inventory to be able to continue to supply hospitals and organizations here in the state. So it's, it's been a 180 in terms of our business model. Um, we did lose, ask, ask, we, we no longer see volunteers. Uh, we've we put that on hold, so our staff has been busy. We've, um, uh, we've got an amazing, dedicated group of people here uh, that are, I, I tell you, they're just amazing in how they're focused on, on the mission and how they're able to do what they do every day. Mm. So, so we've been able to continue to provide that that support,
1: Randy. Uh, in light of kind of the changes we that all the we've all had to make from a volunteer standpoint with physical di- distancing and all that. Uh, quick question: How how can our listeners support MedShare right now? What what's uh what would you suggest?
0: Well, first of all, um, you're welcome to come out to our website and learn more about what we do. Um, we're at www.medshare.org. Um, you can also, you know, see us on uh, Facebook at, uh, at, at MedShare Mission, uh, Instagram is uh, at MedShare Official, and Twitter we're at MedShare. So we're pretty active in social media. Um, if if we are looking at bringing volunteers back uh, this summer, we're starting to book in uh, in July. Um, uh, volunteer sessions we're hoping we've got our fingers crossed that we can uh, we'll be in a position to be able to reopen to some volunteers smaller groups um, um, but uh, we're open to that
1: uh, and these are great so when you when you talk about planning these volunteer sessions this will be a great opportunity for um, teams to come out and support yeah what you do and I imagine I've never been a part of a MedShare uh, volunteer activity but I imagine it's also a great team building and and esprit de corps building opportunity as well as doing good things helping to support a great organization right
2: they are I can and I'll jump in because I've been on that end of the spectrum and uh, they are they're really really great team builders uh, and and I think they do a really good job to to follow up with what you're doing, because you're not just spending a couple of hours and that's it, but you really get a, a sense of the impact that what you're doing is going to have in, in, in some other people's lives. And I think that's what that's what kind of closes the loop and makes it more meaningful. And And I think it's a really, really good activity for teams. We've done it a couple of times already, and I'm sure we'll continue to, to do it, because uh, as much as we feel we're helping MedShare, I really think it's the other way around. and. Every time we go there, we come out like just so much more energized, more focused, and and I think it's just
1: Metier helping us every time we go. So so we'll keep doing that. It's Love good. that.
0: Yeah, it's great to hear that, Enrique. Mm.
1: So um, let's shift gears one more time here. That's that, that's what we do. We, there's so much to cover in mm-hmm. in an hour or less. Um, let let's shift over to what else is going on across the global end-to-end supply chain, right? And uh, Enrique, I want you to weigh on weigh in here in a second. But Randy, what when you, when you survey this pandemic environment we're in, uh, what topic or two or, or development or or you name it, what's what are you tracking more than others right now?
0: Well, um, you know, one of the things we're you know, I'd, I'd say one of the things we're we're tracking right now and we're you know involved with on a daily basis is just some of the challenges of moving freight globally. Um, it's, it's, it's always something I'm sure, Enrique, you, you live this every day too. Um, the more we can break yeah. down trade barriers, the more we can make trade move uh, fluidly around the world and remove some of the uncertainty that is, is involved in, in moving product globally. Um, I think that the better off we'll all be. I mean, it'll make, make commerce better, it'll make our mission easier. So many things would improve, and that is—it's one of the key challenges uh, we face. In fact, you, you were looking for silver linings. I'd say one of the, one of the s- silver linings, and you know, I'm sure there's there's more out there. But one of the silver linings I see is, is with this uh, COVID-19, you do see some of those barriers coming down. You see it becoming—you know—countries are more open now to aid, obviously, and, and in the U.S. it's more. Uh, open to import uh, of aid from from other locations. So we're we're seeing some of those barriers come down, um, and hopefully uh, we all learn from that and uh, we can uh, uh, we can make that happen <laughs> on a more continuous basis in the future.
1: Mm, great point there. And, and Enrique, like I mentioned, I'd love for you to weigh in. And you know, what's you're living a lot of that right now. You and the vector team. What are you tracking more than others right now?
2: Yeah. Uh, no. And um, We've been working on this, and, and similar to to Randy and Medshare, like they have, they ship uh, masks to China when when the virus hit China. So so they've been tracking this for, for six months, and so have we, kind of shipping around the world. And um, the one thing that we're currently seeing is that the U.S. is still needing a lot of help, and everyone's trying to help them. But then the virus is going to it's. Slowly shifting to Latin America and Africa, and I think those two areas of the world are going to be hit next and maybe last in in, in this pandemic. And so, uh, as Randy mentioned, we we've been fielding calls from all over, uh, and and I think we're we're expecting to to do that again sometime soon, uh, especially Mexico, uh, Bolivia, some countries in Latin America, and after that, it will be a call from Ghana and Nigeria and in Africa so, so it's just – we still have uh, a couple – yeah. hopefully less than, than, uh, than a few months but, but it's, still, it's still developing and, and I really think that this is still not over and we have to kind of keep together and make sure that, uh, that there's trust in the system. That's, that's right. the one thing that I, that I think we all need to promote, uh, trusting a little bit more in each other and just being a little more transparent about why we're doing things and then just getting them done.
1: Great point. Um, Randy, I hope you don't mind. I, I'm going to ask you a question that, that wasn't part of my initial plan, but you know, talking with you and getting to know you a little better, there's just a sense of calm in your perspective right now. And, and i um, I got to ask you, if you had a couple of things, given all of your leadership experience and, and your journey, if you had to offer a couple of things that for other organizational leaders to kind of keep in mind as we go through these uncertain times, what would, what would those couple of tips look like?
0: Oh, wow. Um, I, I guess one that comes to mind uh, right off um, is, you know, stay focused on uh, on your purpose and your mission. Um, to me, that's always been a, um, a you know, a, a guiding, guiding light, if you will, is, is you know, we, we need to understand our mission. We need to understand our purpose. And then we need to stay focused on how do we get that accomplished. Um, it helps you prioritize um, the reuse of resources, it helps you prioritize um, both people and physical resources, and it helps you focus on um, any uncertainties that come along. One of the things, you know, all of us in the supply chain practice, if you will, we deal with uncertainty, right? That's, that's what we do every day. Right. Is, is, is we try to minimize uncertainty, we try to predict uncertainty, and we try to manage through uncertainty. And, you know, one of the things that I'd say is key going forward is this, is this is a new and different challenge for us, and we need to continue to keep our eye on where we uh, need to be, what the most, uh, most important priority is, and, and focus what we have um, at our disposal to accomplish that.
1: Mm. Yeah, the power of focus is such... Uh, it cannot be overstated during challenging and uncertain times. And I also like what you put, yes, supply chain folks are used to (laughs) trying to peer around corners and, and hit curveballs and, and, Mm -hmm. and carry out, um, you know, problem solve all the unexpected. It kind of comes with the professional. I like how you put that there. Um, okay. So Randy, before we bring Enrique and Monica back in to talk about, um, a couple of initiatives that the Vector team is, is leading, Ah, uh, you've already kind of shared a couple of different things that um, where folks can learn more about MedShare, but mm-hmm. but let's let's make sure that so MedShare.org, M-E-D-S-H-A-R-E.org, is the website, yep. and where else can folks learn more and and potentially get engaged?
0: Well, social media. We're uh, like I mentioned, we're at uh, on Facebook, we're at MedShare Mission, um, and Instagram, we're at MedShare Official and Twitter, we're at MedShare. So we're pretty active um, in, in all three um, areas of uh, social media, uh, as well as you know we keep people up to date on our, on our website. And if you want to come volunteer, um, our website uh, is, um, is where we interact initially with groups. Uh, it's where they come request times and dates. If you want to uh, provide a donation of, of supplies or equipment, again, come to our website. Or, obviously, you could uh, reach out to me personally. I'd be happy to talk to you. Um, but um, we, um, we welcome any engagement uh, around the global health space and supplies and equipment that we can.
1: So, Outstanding. Yep. Really appreciate what you're doing. Uh, thanks so much for carving some time out and joining us here on Supply Chain Now. And and stay tight as we wrap up the interview here. Don't go anywhere just yet, Randy. And, and big thanks, too, to your colleague Nancy Hunter over at MedShare for helping facilitate uh, today's conversation
0: yeah absolutely she nancy's is fantastic
1: yep you bet okay, so I want to bring Enrique back into the conversation here enrique it's it's tough to do it justice in just a couple of minutes because vector is involved in so many different initiatives, but you know what's one or two uh, critical initiatives that the vector team is leading right now that folks should hear about?
2: yes, no thanks Scott so uh, I'll talk about one general and then just one very specific that I'm very passionate about the the, the general comment that I wanted to make is we've been working uh, with different companies and organizations trying to help in any way we can. We've been dealing with this pandemic since the beginning when we actually shipped masks into China and now we're trying to bring them desperately back to the U.S. and some other parts of the world. And so one thing that we did is we launched a response team that uh, with people not only here in the U.S., Mexico, Chile, and other parts in Latin America, but also with a with a specialized team in China that's helping us go and vet different suppliers, vet different sources. They will go to the manufacturing facilities, take pictures, take videos, uh, interview, and double check that uh, all the products are FDA uh, approved. They have the certifications in place. They have the CE there. They have all the different quality control um, uh, guidances that 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 other countries have uh, stipulated for them to be imported efficiently so the first thing is if anyone out there needs help either sourcing or shipping or or both uh please feel free to reach out to us we are really trying to to just bring some clarity and and just uh openness and transparency to the whole deal making process that that we currently see uh the market's tough it's been challenging there's a lot of um i think corruption and inefficiencies a lot of people claiming to do things that they Probably can't do, or they weren't doing for long. Like a lot of manufacturing facilities that were making umbrellas a couple of weeks ago, now they're making uh, KN95 masks. So there's there's a lot of noise out there, uh, and and so we want to help uh, with that. And then the other the other uh, initiative that we're launching, and and I'm really excited about, is we're partnering with Love Beyond uh, Walls, uh, Terrence Lester, and uh, it's an organization that. That helps homeless people in Atlanta and all over the country, and and we are trying to help raise uh, money to bring a hundred thousand masks for the homeless. Uh, we got some samples this morning. I'm really excited about it. I'm gonna send you a picture and showed you before the interview started, uh, and we're really happy about this. I think that's something that's really going to to help people that that really need it because uh, one thing that we sometimes and I it happened to me, so I we forget is when all these different social distancing rules started, uh everyone's you stay home, stay home. But well some people don't have homes, right? And and it's it just even the way that the mandates are written, it's just offensive and, and wrong and just heartbreaking because they literally say if you don't have a home or a homeless well then none of these applies to you and you're like, well, Yes, but that's not the answer. How are we going to help these uh, people that unfortunately don't have homes? Um, so that's that's one thing that I that I'm really excited about, and I really look forward to, to working with Terrence because because he's
1: an amazing individual. Outstanding, and I think we're working on uh, putting together a live stream uh, featuring uh, Vector and Terrence, and and learn yeah, more about I, that. Initially. I
2: think I think we're gonna have, we're gonna interview him in a couple more weeks, which should be will be interesting and fun too
1: outstanding you know it's, it's the things in our blind spots uh, during especially challenging and and, and unique times uh, that that can't get enough attention you know um, so really appreciate what you're doing and the vector team is doing uh, how can folks learn more about vector Enrique
2: yeah so um, you can uh, send me an email at enrique.alvarez at vectorgl.com you can go to our webpage at vector vectorgl www or uh, just reaches out on Instagram uh, as well. Um, and I would like to give the opportunity to, to for Monica to introduce herself as well because uh, she's been very helpful and amazing kind of coordinating um, some of these interviews for the series Logistics for Purpose, and, and that's another way of really getting in touch with us
1: through her. So,
2: Monica,
1: Thanks, Enrique. Um, well, you can reach me in my email too. It's monica.com r-o-e-s-c-h at vectorgl.com or on linkedin as monica aurora rosh Davila. outstanding monica really appreciate what you're doing to help us facilitate these conversations like the one we've had here today with randy strang um, Uh, And and thanks so much. So Enrique, Monica, thanks so much to our listeners. You can learn more about Vector at VectorGL.com. You can learn more about MedShare at MedShare.org. And, of course, we'll have those links in the show notes of today's episode. Uh, Thanks again uh, to our listeners. Thanks for joining us in on this conversation we've been having with Randy Strang, Chief Operating Officer with MedShare, a global humanitarian aid organization, doing big things across the world in so many different ways. Um, It happens to be headquartered here in Atlanta. Randy, thanks so much for your time.
0: Absolutely, Scott. Thanks again for uh, having me.
1: You bet. Stay safe and and all the best to you and your team. Uh, Thank you, Enrique and Monica. All the best to you and the the Vector team, to our audience. Be sure to check out a wide variety of industry thought leadership at supplychainnowradio.com. Find us and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. On behalf of our entire team here, Scott Luton, wishing you a successful week ahead. Stay safe, don't panic. We're gonna break through any time now, but please do follow the expert advice and precautions that have been distributed by your local healthcare entities. And know this, brighter days lie ahead. We'll see you next time on Supply Out. Thanks everybody.